Welcome to the 17th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're going to be doing a breakdown of UFC 258. After that, we're going to be looking at the other news that has happened recently in the UFC and MMA world. There's going to be a lot of news for that, as last week was a very busy week. And then once we're finished with that, we're going to be looking forward to next week for Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. So, starting off at the top, we had Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Now, I was very impressed with both fighters in this uh, fight. Kamaru obviously had an all-time great performance, but Gilbert showed some very good things in this fight. Coming off strong in the first round, Gilbert Burns, uh, it wasn't technically a knockdown, it wasn't scored a knockdown, but it was effectively a knockdown. He caught him hard in the first 10 seconds of the fight. He had him... Had him stunned, had him wobbled there for a second, and Gilbert did win that first round, but throughout the fight, Kamaro showed a great jab, and he showed some great progression in his striking. I think that has largely come from working with Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman is one of the best striking coaches in all of MMA, and one of the best coaches, period, but his strong suit is definitely striking, so that has helped Kamaro greatly, it seems. He's also been training with Justin Gaethje, who Trevor Whitman is also Justin Gaethje's head coach. So some of these things played into Kamaru showing some great progression on his feet. I think the jab is the big storyline for Kamaru's improvements. Uh, he was hitting with that jab all night. In the post-fight presser, Kamaru said that that jab feels like a straight right, and he's, he's right. I mean, that jab has a lot of power coming with it. Kamaru is obviously a big, powerful guy. So that jab, he gets that jab. He hits you at the perfect range. He's very accurate with that jab. And I think that just has goes to show for the progression he's made as a striker in some of his uh, most recent training camps. And the other big thing I saw in terms of Kamaru's striking is he hit Gilbert with a nice pull counter. Now, if you don't know what a pull counter is, a pull counter is simply Gilbert threw a hook. Kamaru leans back. That's a that's a pull. So he leans back and then hits him with the right hand, I believe it was. I think he, it was a right counter on that. So that was very beautiful. And that is high-level striking. Kamaru Usman hitting pull counters is a scary thing to think about. Because uh, obviously Kamaru is a great grappler, an amazing grappler. We saw that in some of his, his early fights. He showed off his grappling prowess, probably most notably against Tyron Woodley. Jorge Masvidal, he controlled a lot in the cr in the clinch. So Kamaru is obviously one of the best grapplers in the world. He has elite top position control. Him and Khabib are the only two to uh, hold 90, I believe it was 95% uh, top control position in uh, over an hour of top position time. It was a weird stat like that, but it pretty much goes to show for how dominant Kamaru is on his feet or excuse me, on the ground. So he was very, um, he's always been very composed in the ground. But when he shows progression in the striking, he's going to be very difficult to beat in the future. And right now they're looking at booking Kamaru versus Jorge Masvidal. It seems like Kamaru is interested in that fight. And it seems like Dana is interested in that fight. I don't really think that's the fight to make right now. If you look at um, since since um, since Jorge has lost to Kamaru over the summer, we have not seen Jorge back in the octagon, and I don't really think you can make the case that Jorge deserves a title shot without getting another win. I mean, for Jorge, he's obviously a big star and everything, 
and a win for Kamaru to beat Jorge again would really help his star shine. But I think in this position, it's hard to make the case that we see that I think it's hard to make the case that Jorge deserves that shot. If you look at what Colby Covington has done, for an example, Colby Covington lost to Kamaru in in a much closer fight, albeit Colby was finished in that in the fifth round of that Usman fight. But Colby put up more of a fight throughout that fight. Um, he won more rounds than Jorge did, although he was finished. But I think he he showed and he proved that he is the next best guy in the world. And since that loss, he beat Tyron Woodley in a dominant fashion. I think you can look at Leon Edwards. I think Leon Edwards is in a more deserving position of a title shot right now than Jorge would be. Leon Edwards is on a long winning streak. He hasn't lost since his loss to Kamaro early in the UFC. And then if you look at someone like Wonderboy, Wonderboy is the highest ranked guy that Kamaro hasn't yet beat. And he's coming off wins over Vicente Luque and Geoff Neal, who are two of the top up-and-coming guys in that 170-pound division. So I think all three of those guys are more deserving of a title shot right now, at least, than Jorge would be. Um, I, I think if they give this title shot to Jorge, I think that would, um, I think that would be kind of a reward, uh, you know, the UFC throwing Jorge a bone for stepping in on short notice and doing them a favor back in July. So that could play an element in this, but right now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but simply because uh, in some of when we talk about some of the other news that happened this week, some of that news revolves around Leon Edwards and Hamzat Chimaev. Obviously, Hamzat pulled out of that fight, so we're going to discuss that later when we talk about some some more news. But for right now, I think the the fight the next fight we see for Kamaro is going to be the next guy to get a win in the top half of that 170 pound division, and that could be Leon, that could be Colby. So I think we're going to see a reward here for whoever's active. They go out and get a win, and they're going to be they're going to be fresh in the audience's mind, and I think they will have a better case for a title shot coming off uh, another good performance, especially if it's some if it's Leon or Colby. If we see Leon and Colby fight. Um, I think the winner of that has to get a title shot. That fight is supposed to take place on the 13th. That's what the UFC is looking at. We're obviously, like I said, we're going to talk about that more. So we'll talk about that more later. But I think the next fight for Kamaru Usman is going to be, I think it's going to be the next welterweight in the top five to get a win. I think that's where we're going to see this division move towards. Maybe six. Maybe if, uh, maybe if Kiesa gets a win against someone in the top five, they could make the case for him. So I think that's the position we're going to see this division move. So And for Gilbert Burns, Gilbert's probably going to take some time off. I think I think Gilbert would probably face the loser if, if Colby and Leon do end up fighting. I think Gilbert would face the loser of that fight. Um, I think that would make the most sense. So I think a more clear um, Gilbert Burns fight will, will, will appear here in, in the coming weeks. And I think... Um, for Gilbert Burns, I think a fun fight could be Michael Chiesa as well. If uh, Gilbert cannot get someone matched up in that, if he can't get one of those top four guys for Gilbert, I think Michael Chiesa, Chiesa would be a really fun fight from a grappling perspective. And I don't, and that is that's a dark horse fight that we could see Chiesa versus Gilbert Burns. So I'm interested in that. I think some other people would be too if you love grappling. So that's a dark horse fight out there that I think we could get, but. 
I don't want to. I don't want to say right now that that's a fight we're gonna see, but I think we could get that fight. Now, moving on in the co-main, we had Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. So, this fight was a little bit of uh, a little bit of a letdown for any Macy Barber fans out there. Macy Barber is one of the more hype prospects of uh, all of MMA. Uh, she's probably the most hype prospect in women's MMA for sure. Her Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Hebas are the other big ones for hyped prospects in the in female MMA. But for Macy Barber here, she didn't really look great. I, we didn't see the improvements that we were hoping to see off this long layoff. But with that being said, Alexa Grasso still went out there and performed it very well. She won that fight. She was very deserving of winning that fight, and she performed very well. So I think we're going to see Grasso kind of moving up here in the division. I think we could see her against someone in the top five, Maybe a Jessica I, maybe a Roxanne Mataferi, maybe one of those names there, maybe a Viviana Arjudo. I think a couple of those names there make sense. But I want to see her move up after a good performance against Macy Barber. For Macy, Macy put herself in a tough position when she said that she wants to be the youngest UFC champion. She's lost two in a row, so she won't be the youngest UFC champion. She won't she won't get a title shot by the by the time she needs to break that record. But I think for Macy, I think don't count her out yet because she still is so young. And I think if she comes back, if she can improve, if she can make a couple improvements in her game, I think she could still be a champion eventually. Um, she doesn't have the skills now, but I think some more girls for Macy. And I don't think it's time to count Macy Barber out as she's still young. She's still very talented. Um, so I think we will see Macy Barber making her way to the top of the division. But right now, she's going to move down in the rankings. And uh, I don't know whether she should take time off or not. You can make a case that she needs to take time off. But I think she needs to do whatever will, um, whatever gets her, whatever gets her to progress the most. She needs progression. So whether that is take six months off and work on growing her skill set, that could be an option. Whether she feels that she needs to get back in there ASAP. That could be an option. So I think whatever Macy thinks is best for her career, I think that's what we're going to see. So hopefully, hopefully she can come out, make a couple adjustments and uh, make her way to the top of that division because I think that would be exciting to see in that female 125 pound division. We had Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinrichs, which was a very good fight. Kelvin Gastelum, it looks like he is back. He, he showed some very good wrestling. He used his wrestling more Obviously, Kelvin has always been a very good wrestler, but after that Izzy fight, we saw some more striking. For If my memory serves me cor correctly, that whole till fight took place on the feet. If I do remember correctly, that fight has been, that was November of 2019, so that's been a minute, So my, and I haven't rewatched that fight as it wasn't overly exciting at the time, but for, for uh, Gaslam here, he he showed some improvements and he got back to his wrestling his wrestling background and he, he dominated most of that fight. There was one point where Heinrich hit a good flying knee. Calvin just took it right into a takedown and got the takedown, ate the flying knee. Very impressive, very strong chin. So I'm I'm excited to see Calvin. He he changed his game plan up a little bit and he had some he had a lot of success with that. And I hope we see that moving forward. 
I think after the Izzy fight, he fell in love with the striking, and that makes sense. He went out there and struck with Izzy for five rounds and had and did better than anyone else has in the UFC. So I think when you when you do that, when you're facing the best striker in the world, possibly in the world, I I think you can make that case that Izzy's the best striker in the world from a technical standpoint. So when you go out there and you almost beat him at striking, I think you're going to fall in love with your hands. And he didn't perform as well against Till. He looked a little gun-shy against Till. And then against Hermanson, against Hermanson, he got uh, he hit him with the heel hook, and he was stuck early. So I think Kelvin Gastelum is not done yet. I think he's got a lot of time left. And if he can keep making improvements like this, if he can get back to his strong wrestling background, he's got. we've got a lot of look to look forward to for Kelvin, as this 185-pound division has a lot of fun matchups right now. Um, for Kelvin, what's next? This is another one I think we need to let some stuff play out. I think Kelvin deserves to move up in the rankings right now. I think maybe if he moves down, Edmund, Shab- Edmund Shabazian could be a fun fight. Edmund's get- Edmund has to uh, kind of rebound after his fight against Brunson, and I think throwing him against another wrestler could help Edmund kind of refine his wrestling skills. So I think that's that's a fight to look out for. But right now, we have a lot of this division matched up. We have Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman are fighting soon. We have Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson. That fight's taking place soon. We have Till versus Vittori. That fight is taking place soon. We have Hermanson, who isn't booked, coming off a loss. But Kelvin, they are, Kelvin has already fought uh, Hermanson. The Cannoneer is out. Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa, they're paired up. So right now, this division is pretty booked up. Brad Tavares is coming off a nice win. Omar Akhmedov is coming off, off a nice win. Those could be names for Calvin Gastelum. But I'd like to see Calvin Gastelum move up. I'd like to see him face someone of a higher tier. Both Tavares and Omar Akhmedov are good. But I think after a dominant performance of the number 15 guy, what's the point of giving him 13 and 14? So... I think I think Kelvin should wait this one out and let this division play out. This division is so matched up here for the next month, next two months. Don't rush into a fight. Uh, wait for this landscape to play out. I think that's the best case scenario for Kelvin Gastelum. And then once we see this division, it's going to play out, and we're going to see some movement in the rankings, and then that would be the appropriate time to strike for Kelvin Gastelum's next fight. Moving on, there's a couple more fights I want to talk about from UFC 258. The next being Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher. This was a very good fight for Ricky Simone. And Ricky Simone, is he's constantly underrated. And I think a lot of that comes from his loss to Uriah Faber. When you lose to Uriah Faber, and Faber is way past his prime. And I think he just got caught by Faber. I think he beats for if him and Uriah fight now. I think he wins that fight now. Uh, he had a great performance against Kelleher, who is a 145-pounder. So for for, uh, for Ricky Simone, I think we're going to see him up against someone in the top 15. I think he's very close to being ranked. I don't think he'll get ranked in the next update on Tuesday. Right now you have Casey Kenny, Song Yudong, Corey Stamen. They're sitting there at the bottom, or Cody Stamen, excuse me. They're sitting there at the bottom of the division. Casey Kenny and Song Yudong are both fighting on UFC 259 so usually we don't see movement in guys who are fighting soon 
very rarely will someone get moved down when they have an upcoming fight. So I don't think Ricky Simone is going to jump into the rankings, but I think he might be the 16th, 17th, or 18th, 18th best guy at that division right now for in terms of rankings if we were extend, to extend those past 15. So I think we're going to see him up there against a ranked guy soon. Um, maybe maybe someone just outside, but a, a, a respected opponent is who I think we'll see Ricky Simone up against next. And Ricky has he has a a bright future here. He he has he's got the Chael Sonnen cosign. Chael Sonnen says he's very good in the practice room, and I think he showed some of that last night with a very good performance. And I think he kind of lived up to some of the he's been talked about for a long time as someone who can make some moves in that 135 pound division, which is very talented at the moment. So um, I'm glad to see him get a good performance, and I hope we can see him in the future continue some of these good, continue with these good performances, and get some momentum behind himself. And then we, the last, the last fighter I want to talk about from UFC 258 is Bilal Muhammad. This was a tremendous performance from Bilal Muhammad. He stayed. He looked very good. The only thing that he kind of lacked in was was dealing with leg kicks. But you know, right now I think that's more. I think dealing with those low calf kicks isn't is that's not a personal problem for Bilal Muhammad as everybody. I can't remember the last time someone dealt with calf kicks well. Um a lot of guys are throwing those in the, their game plan so effectively right now and I think it's it's something that we're going to see guys get ate up by leg kicks a lot here in the near future. So um, I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, criticize him for that. That's a hard thing to criticize a, Bilal Muhammad for when every single person on the UFC roster is struggling it was is struggling with those low calf kicks right now in terms of defending them so but every other aspect of this he looked great I loved how he he controlled range so well he was he was playing the the cliche game the cliche game of uh get or hit your opponent and don't get hit he was in he was in this face landed a couple get out of range, and then uh, when it was time to get back in range, he'd be throwing in range, get out of range. He was going, getting in and out of range so well, and he was he was dominating a lot of that fight. He looked very good. I was very impressed by Bilal Muhammad, and I'm excited to see what's going on for the future here. I would like to see him against Geoff Neal. I think that'd be such a fun fight that would take place on the feet. Lee Jingliang would be another fun one. I think there's a lot of fun fights. Robbie Lawler's running around out there. I think there'd be a lot of fun fights for Bilal Muhammad in the bottom half of those welterweight rankings. Vicente Luque, he's fighting Tyron Woodley. We'll see how that fight plays out. That might be someone that you can look at for Bilal Muhammad. Um, I think all those would be fun fights for Bilal. Bilal. I want to see him fight a ranked guy this time. He's finally in the rankings. He, he, he got moved to 13, and then they gave him an unranked guy. He beat... He, he proved he he deserves that ranking, so, and he's got it. So he, he might move up a couple spots. You could make that case that he could jump a couple guys, uh, maybe Lee Jingliang, maybe Geoff Neal, maybe even Vicente Luque. I don't know if I'd go that far. But he deserves to be matched up against one of those guys as he looked outstanding last night. And that's, that's all for this UFC 258 breakdown. So now we're going to move into some other news that took place in the UFC last week. And there was a lot. There was a lot of news. 
Starting off, we're going to start off with what we saw at the beginning of the week. The very first thing that happened this week was Nate Diaz had an interview with Ariel Hawani. The biggest thing we they, that uh, there is to be taken from this is you have Nate Diaz who called out uh, Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. He said he doesn't want to fight any 170-pounders right now, and he wants to fight 155-pounders at 170. Very silly idea by, by Nate Diaz, but we're going to talk about the callouts because we had two very different reactions from his callouts of Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. And one name he didn't call out was Conor McGregor. He said he wants to fight Conor after Conor's been winning. He doesn't want to fight Conor when Conor's coming off a loss. That's an interesting thing that deserves to be thrown in there. So I don't think we're going to be seeing that Nate Diaz versus Conor trilogy fight right now. But first call out Dustin Poirier. He said, um, he called out Poirier, and Poirier's response was he overwhelmingly yes. Uh, he was happy he's down to fight at 170. Poirier says that closer to his natural weight, doesn't have to cut as much. And Poirier's in the business of money fights right now. He beat Connor. He's either for Poirier, he's either gonna get the Connor rematch or he's gonna get the Nate Diaz fight. But I think right now, the direction that the UFC has said, uh, Dana has recently said they're looking at Poirier versus McGregor 3 for the summer. I think that's the fight we're going to get, and I don't think it's going to be much more complicated than that. The question is, will the UFC lightweight belt be up for grabs in that fight? The answer now, unclear. It's very unclear, but I think a lot of people would be upset if we saw that. So that's something we can talk about later. But I think that Poirier fight... Uh, Poirier Diaz fight that fight I don't think it's happening right now like I said Connor versus Poirier so I think that's something to throw in your back pocket to be used later um you had Poirier uh, and Diaz were supposed to fight so they had a little bit of a trash talk on on Instagram also wasn't anything too notable nothing that made me think they were gonna fight soon just a short little interaction so I don't think that happens right now the other name Charles Oliveira now, Charles Oliveira said no to Nate Diaz's call-out. He said no, and he said that he wants a title shot. Now, this he said fighting Nate Diaz isn't a title shot, and it doesn't get him closer to a title shot. Now, this doesn't make sense in any world if you're Charles Oliveira. If you're Charles Oliveira, you run to this fight. You do everything you can to get this fight. I mean, you want... If you're Charles Oliveira and your goal is a title shot. So, if your goal is a title shot, would beating Nate Diaz get you a title shot? The answer to that question is yes. And it's over, overwhelmingly yes. Look at Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal beats Nate Diaz. Next fight, title. I mean, that's just the most recent example and when you beat someone who is a star, as Nate Diaz is, Nate Diaz is one of the top, probably top five biggest draws in terms of star power in the UFC at the moment. So if you can beat him, therefore, you will have people watching you. Well, you'll have people watching you indirectly, I guess, because people are there to watch Nate Diaz, but they see you because you're fighting Nate Diaz. So then you beat Nate Diaz, and then you gain all those fans. And then if you have more fans, you're more likely to fight for a title. 
So, in short, he says, no, I don't want to fight Nate Diaz because I want a title shot. Well, if you beat Nate Diaz, you get a title shot. There's my first problem with it. And then my second problem is, so you want a title shot, Charles Oliveira. We talked about this last week, but Charles Oliveira keeps making oopsies. He keeps making oopsies and getting that title shot he also wants. So, the UFC, after you beat Tony Ferguson, they weren't like, oh, let's get him a title shot. So, the further you are from beating Tony Ferguson, the less people care about that win. You beat Tony Ferguson, right? But now the UFC is looking to book Connor versus Poirier. So when you hear the UFC is looking to book Connor versus Dustin Poirier, the chances of that being for the belt are probably likely. Because everybody right now is saying that Dustin deserves to fight for the belt. So you see this title fight, and it's supposed—it's allegedly supposed to take place in the summer. So now you're made aware of, okay, so these two dudes are going to fight for the title in the summer. Okay, that's perfectly fine. But if you're Charles Oliveira, so you wouldn't get your title fight until summer. Or, you know, you, you following me here? So you're already delaying to this summer. It's February right now. So this summer, the title shot is being given, likely. Um, that's, that's the information we have right now. Now, say Charles Oliveira, best case scenario, he fights the winner of Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. When is that going to be? Is that going to be two months after? And if they're fighting in summer, does that mean July? So you're fighting in September? Does that mean June? So you're fighting in August? You see the problem here? So, if you're Charles Oliveira, there's this big gap of time until until when you have lost last fall, which was December, to next summer at the earliest. Summer at the earliest. What's more probable is the fall. So, it'll have been almost a year by the time they look to book the next UFC title shot. Now, what happens if Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje go fight? The winner of that is probably going to be in line ahead of Charles Oliveira, especially if it's Michael Chandler. So you're in this position where you want a title shot, but if you look at the landscape of the UFC and the landscape of the lightweight division, the chances of you getting a title shot right now are very slim, especially off the back of the UFC making trying to make Conor versus Poirier 3. So you're seeing here, I'm not going to get my title shot. And, and what what's he want to do? Say he doesn't get the title shot after after Conor and Poirier. Say that goes to Chandler or Gaethje. If those two fight, the winner of that. So say that goes to Chandler or Gaethje. What's now? What's Michael Chandler or what now? What's Charles Oliveira doing? Is he going to wait and get the title shot after that? Do you see how this becomes a problem here? We're just waiting for a title shot. You got to go and earn your title shot if the UFC hasn't given it to you already. Because the longer you wait, the less likely you're going to get it. And that's just how it happens. So if you're, Michael, if you're Charles Oliveira, the fastest way here would be fighting. The best, the best way to get your title shot is beating Nate Diaz here. If you beat Nate Diaz in the summer, if you beat Nate Diaz in the summer, then you have Charles Oliveira, or excuse me, if you beat Nate Diaz, in, if you're Charles Oliveira and you beat Nate Diaz in the summer, and Chandler and Gaethje go out there and fight, and then you have Connor and you have Connor and um, Poirier fight. 
So you see where this is. So now we have all these guys matched up, and now you at least have a fighting chance to get the next title shot. Because if you're if you're Oliveira and you beat beat Nate Diaz, you're probably gonna be getting that title shot before Chandler or Gaethje, the winner of that. Especially if you're coming off, he'd be coming off Kevin Lee, um, Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz. He'd be more likely to get a title shot than Michael Chandler, who'd be coming off Gaethje and Hooker. You see, you see how this fight kind of it, it it's really the gateway to a title now say he doesn't want to fight Nate Diaz and he doesn't and that's not the route he wants to take so then in that situation you still have to fight again you'd have to fight Michael Chandler or Justin Gaethje now once again if you're sitting in Charles Oliveira's shoes you're you're sitting here and you're like okay so one of my next fight is going to be against one of three names Nate Diaz Justin Gaethje Charles er, and Michael Chandler now, if you're Charles Oliveira, look at risk-reward here. Nate Diaz, you'd be having the least risk because you'd be fighting at 170. You'd be fighting at 170, so if you go up there and you lose, you have a built-in excuse. And I know a lot of people don't like excuses in the fight game, but they're a real thing. Jorge Masvidal is doing it right now, saying he only had six days notice against Kamara Usman, and that's, and that's kind of pushing him forward giving him a greater chance at a title shot because he's got the excuse. Listen, not everybody likes excuses, but the fact of the matter is if you have a built-in excuse, there you're going to see people, people are going to use that excuse for you and it's going to help further your career. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. So he has this built-in excuse. Well, worst case scenario, he loses to Nate Diaz. All you have to do is say, hey, it was at 170. I'm a 155 pounder. You know, and if you beat Nate Diaz, you don't say anything about where the where the fight took place. You say Nate Diaz is a 155-pounder fighting at 170, and you beat him. And then you go get your title shot. So you can do that, or you can fight, or you can fight Chandler or Gaethje. Now, if you're Oliveira, what's the easiest fight there? Is it Nate Diaz? Is it Gaethje? Or is it Chandler? From from my eyes, if you make if you're trying to come up with the with the easiest guy to beat for Charles Oliveira. It's probably Nate Diaz. He hits. He hit. Nate Diaz hits the least hardest. He's he's the least powerful out of those guys. And this is coming from a huge Nate Diaz fan here. I love Nate Diaz, but Charles Oliveira stylistically would probably have a harder time against Michael Chandler. Would probably be the toughest fight for Charles Oliveira, just simply with that wrestling background. And Charles or Michael Chandler would have a way better shot of keeping that on the feet. Than Nate Diaz or the Nate Diaz or um, Justin Gaethje would. I think Justin Gaethje would probably be a tougher fight on the feet, but I think we saw last fight that Gaethje can get taken down, so I think that'd be an interesting matchup. But for Nate Diaz, when was the last time we saw Nate Diaz use his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? It's been a minute. The last submission when he had was probably Connor, and that wasn't because he crafted up a beautiful submission. You know, it wasn't because he, he went out there and found an armbar. It wasn't because he went out there and hit a triangle choke. It was because he rocked him on the feet. And and Connor kind of gave up his back. He was in full mount. Nate Diaz would have got the finish in full mount if he stayed there. So Nate or Connor scrambles. Nate gets the, the rear naked there. So it's we're in this position where if you're Charles Oliveira, you ha- if you're looking at risk-reward, highest amount of 
of reward is Nate Diaz with probably the lowest amount of risk. So when you see that, I don't understand the logic of saying no to that fight, but instead of sitting here and piling on to how Charles Oliveira has failed to navigate his own career, and it feels painful to say that, but from from a media standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a promotional standpoint, Charles Oliveira hasn't done the best work in doing that. And that's tough to say because he's so incredibly talented inside the octagon. But in terms of getting the fight to get him the title, you know, he's not really he's not really doing the best for himself. Because, you know, if if you look at everything Charles Oliveira's done, wins over if you look at his eight fight run, hasn't been overly impressive names. Still an eight fight run. You've got Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee are the two big names on that list. Justin Gaethje already beat Tony Ferguson. You know what I mean? So if if Tony or if Justin Gaethje goes out there and beats Chandler, then he's got he's got Tony Ferguson and Chandler. Then Gaethje gets a title shot. So let's let's move on here because I've been piling on for Charles Oliveira for a decent amount of time here. So we're gonna stop doing that and we're gonna move on here. But overall summary of that: Charles Oliveira made a big oopsie. Okay, Charles Oliveira made another oopsie. And as Chael Sonnen would say, he, he sandhagen himself. Charles Oliveira pulled a sandhagen on that one. Didn't know the landscape of his own division well enough to the point where he could make a good decision on what is best for his career. So, the last thing I want to talk about from that Nate Diaz interview. Nate, if you didn't see, Nate Diaz was sitting in a race car chair. Or not a race, race car chair, excuse me. He was sitting in a, a chair that said something racing. And Conor McGregor commented... Three separate times with three separate things. I'll read these here. These are quotes. Cool race car chair, bro. Look here, we got a bad boy in a racing chair in vroom vroom, beep beep, haha. So, if you didn't see, Connor also put out another Instagram post that said, um, no more Mr. Nice Guy. So, this could be a t- sign of things to come. We might see some Connor trash talk here soon. I just wanted to, that's not a big overall thing I wanted to talk about. But, um, that is something I wanted to touch on. So now we're gonna look at now we're gonna look at the the shape of the welterweight division. A lot of things happened here. First thing we're gonna start off with is the ultimate fighter. Dana White told Complex, this is what he said. We start filming this summer. Let's just say we're working on two guys who will make it fun if we pull it off. Welterweight division. So Dana White is looking at coaches from the welterweight division for the ultimate fighter. Now this begs the question, who are we looking at? Because everyone has thought for years, or not years, obviously months, but everyone said for months that it's going to be Jorge and Colby are going to be the coaches on the ultimate fighter return. And I think that's what he's insinuating here. Let's just say we're working on two guys who can make it fun if we pull it off. I think that's got to be Colby and Masvidal. I don't know who else you'd be talking about at welterweight. But now there's some talks that it's going to be Jorge and Usman. Because Jorge has inserted himself into a title shot now. So I just wanted to say that. So that is going to be something to look out for. And Hamza Chimaev also pulled out on March 13th with the lingering effects of COVID. This directly affects the ultimate fighter. The quote was before Leon or before Hazmat pulled out. So 
since then, we have had Wonderboy offered to fill in for Hamzat Chumayev and fight Leon Edwards. And, it, and it, in, um, one added thing here, it looks like the UFC is going to get do their best to get Leon matched up with someone on the 13th. And they're going to try and move on from Hamzat and Leon. So we'll start with what's next for Leon, then we'll move to Hamzat Jumaev. So to start, Leon, uh, Wonderboy stepped up and said, I will fight you, Leon. I'm the number five guy, you're the number three guy. Winner would get a title shot, all that jazz. But Wonderboy's hands are still injured because he broke both hands, I believe, or he at least broke one hand against Geoff Neal. So he needs time to recover. So it wouldn't be in the 13th, it would be later. I believe they said May or June. So um, Wonderboy is offered to step in, but at a later date. But it doesn't look like the UFC is going to go that direction because they want Leon to fight the 13th. So Leon said they want to keep. Um, Leon said they want to keep that fight on the 13th, and Leon's managers said Nate Diaz, Colby Covington, or Jorge Masvidal. So we're going to break down these callouts real quick. First off, Jorge. Jorge said nothing, so Jorge didn't respond to this call out by Leon Edwards, so I doubt we see that, and now we have the talks of Jorge versus Usman, so it's really looking like we're not going to get Jorge, then Nate Diaz, Leon called out Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz said um, he photoshopped Leon's face onto Jeremy Stevens' face from the um, infinite, infamous who is that guy quote from Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz posted that and said who even is that guy so um, Diaz looks like he doesn't want that fight first of all second of all I don't think Nate Diaz is fighting on free TV I don't think we see Nate Diaz ever again on a fight that's not a pay-per-view whether he might be on a paper, he might not be the main event of every single uh, pay-per-view that he, he fights in. But I think he will at least be on a pay-per-view. I don't think we ever see Nate Diaz on free TV. So Wonderboy, or excuse me, Leon and Nate Diaz, very unlikely. Now, last name, Colby Covington. Colby has not said anything directly, but Dana White said the UFC is looking at Colby versus Leon. So, if we see Colby versus Leon, that's looking like the most likely, um, which is really interesting for two reasons here. First of all, if you're looking to make the ultimate fighter coaches, Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal is the best possible scenario for the ultimate fighter coaches. Second best scenario would probably be Colby Covington versus Kamaru Usman. Now, that's the first thing. So, that could throw a wrench in any in any ultimate fighter plans they have second off march 13th if you have leon and colby fight i think you have a i think you have a hard time saying the winner of that doesn't deserve a title shot either guy either guy if colby wins he would have been the closest guy to beating kamar uzman and i think you can sell the fact that colby beats him a lot better that's a rivalry both guys hate each other that fight sells, that fight does good numbers, and that fight's going to be a fun fight. So I think that's the best possible fight in the welterweight division right now. And for, for uh, Colby, I think 
it, at, coming off that fight, then he goes out there, dominates Ty, Tyron Woodley, no matter how he beats Leon. If he beats Leon and there isn't any controversy, um, assuming that he doesn't win by a by a bad decision, assuming he goes out there and earns a win, you, you'd you have a really tough time convincing me that Colby doesn't deserve the title shot. That being said, same for Leon. If Leon goes out there, adds another name to his win streak, and that name is Colby Covington. If you beat Colby Covington, his last fight was RDA. So if you're coming off RDA and Colby Covington, title shot. Title shot. Simple as that. So I think, I think Colby versus Leon would be a good fight in terms of rankings and title picture and all those types of things. I don't think it has the built-in storylines like Usman, Colby, and Usman versus Jorge or Usman versus Burns even has more um, heat behind it because Burns doesn't like Colby simply based off the things that Colby has said about the country of Brazil. Fair play, um, Gilbert Burns, don't blame him for that, but there's a built-in storyline there. So I think from a storyline aspect, we don't really have that with Covington versus Leon Edwards. But, or, or Leon versus Jorge has more of a storyline than um, Colby versus Leon does. But I think no matter what, I think what we see here is we see a good fight from fighting-wise, it makes sense. From storylines, does it make sense? No. But in terms of fighting and who we're putting in that cage against each other and why they're fighting, that makes sense. So from a fighting perspective, this fight makes sense. And it is the fight to make right now. And so I hope we see that fight on the 13th. And I think from there, we have a plethora of options. I think from there, the winner of that fight fights Usman. The loser fights Burns. I think that, that'd be an easy decision to make. If you're Colby Covington and you lose, Gilbert Burns coming off a loss, pair those together. Does It's a fun fight. You know what I mean? If you're Leon, you compare Leon against Jorge if Jorge doesn't get that title shot. If Jorge loses and uh Kobe gets a and Kobe gets a title shot. Then you have Usman, or you have, um, you have Masvidal, and you have Leon Edwards going up against each other. So win or lose, both guys, they both have clear directions where they can go, and this fight sets up the division for the next wave of fights. That's why this fight, from a fighting perspective, makes sense. It makes sense everywhere. You're gonna see this fight. It'll be a fun fight. Colby Covington and Leon Edwards don't really get into boring fights. Those two are going to go out there and scrap, and it's, it'll, it'd be a fun one. And then you'd see that you'd, I think you'd see the division blossom. I think you'd see some fun matchups, and I think you'd see more activity. So I really hope they can make that fight. If not, if it's not Leon, I don't know where they go. If it's not Leon, or if it's not Leon versus Colby, they'd probably end up being a tough spot. They might have to pull Leon from that altogether, which would be a shame because Leon needs to fight. Obviously, he wouldn't be fighting Burns on the 13th. And then if you can't get Colby, that leaves Jorge Masvidal. Does Jorge fight Leon on the 13th? I don't think so. I don't think we see Jorge. I think he's in a similar position in Nate Diaz where we don't see Colby or we don't see Jorge on free TV again. So from a money standpoint, that doesn't make sense. And then Steven Thompson, injured. Then you'd move down to Michael Chiesa at 6. I guess that fight could work. Um, so it'd probably be Colby and Michael Chiesa are the only two names really right now. Then you've got Tyron Woodley's matched up. 
Damian Maya wants a wants a fight against a Brazilian in Brazil for a retirement fight. I don't think we see Damian Maya step up on um, short notice for a retirement fight. I don't see that. Neil Magny just lost. Luke fighting Tyron Woodley. So you kind of see the issue here. Um, Geoff Neal just lost, probably not ready to get back in there. Um, so you kind of see the issue we're at here. Bilal Muhammad, maybe. Maybe he could return that fast. I'm not sure. But you kind of see the position we're in here where if it's not Colby and if it's not Chiesa, and I can't imagine Leon would be too excited to fight Chiesa right now. So if it's not either of those guys, they're in a really tough spot for getting names in there. So hopefully that Leon and Colby gets together for all those reasons. And uh, let's just hope that that one gets together. Moving on, the other big news is this March 13th card did take a big hit. As we saw, Ryan Hall is out March 13th against Dan Ige. Now, here we have a big opportunity. First off, we'll start with this. It's a shame that Ryan Hall is out. I've personally been excited to see Ryan Hall back in there. I think all MMA fans can agree with me that we need to see more Ryan Hall. But he is injured, so we need to move on now. So who's the question is, who will Dan Ige fight on the 13th? Now, if you're any of these top-ranked 145-pounders, you got to be calling out Ige. I mean, right now, it's we're in a position where there's so much talent at 145 that a lot of these guys aren't ranked. I mean, if you look at, I, I think this is a great op- opportunity for some of these unranked 145-pounders. Guys like Giga Kikate, guys like Ila Tuporia, guys like Lovedwit Klein, guys that are, um, Hakeem Dawadu is another one, guys that are, knocking on the door of the top 15 who have showed promise if you go out there and say hey i'll fight in short notice to fight dan ige um i don't think they they're not gonna pull ige from that card i don't think i think they need that fight i think they need an ige fight on that card for for um marketing reasons i mean it doesn't have to be dan ige i guess but they they don't want to lose a ranked fight off that card they're you know so I think Ige, and I think if you're one of those guys that I just mentioned, and plenty more, plenty more of those guys outside outside the top 15 at 145, start calling for this one. Um, so hopefully we can see that. Those are that's that'd be best case scenario is we see a top prospect at the 145 pound division stepping in and fighting Dan Ige, because there is so much talent at 145, so much talent at 145. The depth is ridiculous. I see a lot of guys at 145 where I'm like, Ugh, hey, they they could be a top-tier fighter. Guys like Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell's injured right now, but if he refines the striking a little bit with his great grappling, uh, he could be a problem. Edson Barbosa's at 15. Giga Kikatsa is a ridiculously good kickboxer. Same with Ludwig Klein. Eli Tuporia is great on the ground, and he showed some great striking in his last fight. You kind of get the theme here. This uh, Lerone Murphy, um, he's out for a little bit because I believe he broke an or- orbital. His eye was quite swollen at the end of that. But you just kind of get the theme here where there's so much talent at 145 that's not ranked and ranked in the lower half of that division where if you have the opportunity to get in there against Dan Ige, you got to raise your hand and say, hey, I'll do it. So hopefully we see one of those guys in there against, um, against Dan Ige. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Bellator here. 
Uh, we don't talk about Bellator much, as Bellator has not done much to be newsworthy. But they dropped a news bomb here recently with um, the announcement of their Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament. This Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament here is going to be stacked. Let me pull this up. Um, but they did a great job here in matchmaking. And the uh, first fight, I've got the bracket pulled up here. So the first fight is Ryan Bader versus Leota Machida. This fight is probably... Um, uh, Ryan Bader's the big favorite here. Uh, he already beat Leota Machida. That's kind of just to ease in there for Ryan Bader. On the same side of the bracket, this is an eight-man tournament, by the way. We have Corey Anderson versus um, his opponent, which I'm not going to try to say his name because I know I can't do it. But we do have Corey Anderson, obviously former UFC guy. So that's a big fight there. And then on the opposite side, we have Vadim Nevkov versus Phil Davis which is a big, big light heavyweight fight. Nemkov obviously was the champion, so we will have Phil Davis in there. But the big one, the big fight here is Yoel Romero versus Anthony Johnson. Now here we just have to hope. We just have to sit down and hope that we get prime. We get prime Anthony, jo er, er, Anthony Johnson versus Yoel Romero. If we can get some prime action, this would be, this would be crazy. You can't ask for much more. They made that fight in the first round because they Scott Coker said, hey, when you have a fight like this, you can't let it pass. Great job. Great job by Scott Coker for getting that fight done. And this tournament should be a fun tournament. There's a lot of talent here. Bellator's light heavyweight division is by far their best division. By far. I don't think there's any, any dispute of that. So in between Nevkov, Bader, Davis... Johnson, Anthony Johnson, Romero, Corey Anderson. Um, Corey Anderson would be a ranked guy at, at 205 right now for the UFC. Um, I don't think he'd be in the top five. He'd be ranked, though. Um, so there is, really isn't much more you can ask for from Bellator in, in this light heavyweight division. They hit this, they hit this tournament out of, the, out of the park. My early pick for winner would be um, Nemkov. Maybe not. Actually, Bader. I'll, I have my my pick here is Bader. I think that's he's got the best chance at winning, and I say that because he's probably has the easiest path. Um, Lyota's probably would be the eight seed if you seeded this tournament. Um, so I think he's got the easiest first round fight. From there, he's got the winner of Corey Anderson and his opponent. If Corey Anderson can win that fight, I think Bader easily beats Corey Anderson. So I think he would have the the easiest run here. And I think that would, um, I think the other side of the bracket is by far the toughest. So I think that would uh, play play into Bader. If I had to put money on it, I would say Ryan Bader. But, you know, obviously you can't count out Yuel Romero. You can't count out Anthony Johnson. You can't count out Vadim Namkov or Phil Davis. Don't count any of those guys. They all have real chances at winning. And uh, those could be some good underdog bets for who's going to win this. The other piece of Bellator news Two pieces of Bellator news in the same week. Isn't that crazy? Patricio Pitbull called out Max Holloway. Oh, there's a lot of silliness going on here. Because Patricio Pitbull didn't say, hey, let's cross-promote and get Max Holloway versus Patricio Pitbull. That'd actually be silly, too, because that's not going to happen. But he said he, he pretty much said, Max Holloway, you should leave the UFC and come to Bellator. 
Why would Max Holloway do that? He said, Petruccio Pitbull, first of all, he said that he would get paid more at Bellator. Come on, come on. Pitbull, you get paid the most at Bellator, I believe. And Patricio Pitbull gets paid so much at Bellator because he's probably the best fighter in terms of skill at Bellator. And he's been there probably longer than anyone in the company. So he has the most tenure and the most skill. That's why you're getting paid so much. If you think Bellator is going to pay Max Holloway more than the UFC, this is how that negotiating would go, right? So say they're nego- say say there's a bidding war going on for Max Holloway. The UFC would pay Max Holloway whatever they need to keep him. The UFC is not letting Max Holloway go. If Bellator says, "Hey, we'll give you 500," uh, we'll say if Bellator says Max Holloway, we'll give you 500 to show, 500 to win in terms of 500 grand here. Bellator or the UFC will say, "Hey, we'll give you uh, we'll give you 600 to show and 600 to win," and it just keep going until Bellator decided to tap out. But the UFC would not let go of Max Holloway, first of all. So, Pitbull, you're wrong. You're, you're very wrong. And you, Pitbull doesn't even know how many fights are left on Max Holloway's contract. And he's telling him to leave the UFC. How the hell do you know he don't, didn't just resign? So, this is where this silliness comes from. Um, and then he said, and then he says, hey, um, he also said he could beat Max Holloway. Which... Patricio Pitbull is a great 145-pounder, and I think he would be a top guy in the UFC. I think he would be ranked, and I think he would be ranked highly. Do I think Pitbull would beat Max Holloway? No. Does Pitbull beat Volkanovski? No. Does Pitbull beat Brian Ortega? No. Does Pitbull beat, um, who, who else? Literally anyone. The Korean Zombie? Eh, probably not. Does he beat Kelvin Cater? Mm, maybe. Does he beat, you know, that's when we start seeing maybes, you know, when, when you start getting in there. Yair, maybe. Zabit, maybe. But I'd probably pick against, um, I'd probably pick against uh, Patricio in most of those fights. And I think if you're P- Patricio Pitbull, if you want to try and bait someone to leaving the UFC, you don't bait Max Holloway. You want to bait someone to leave the UFC, you bait Kelvin Cater. Or you bait you you bait the Korean Zombie. Bait someone coming off a loss and say, hey, you can come to Bellator and get paid way more. Because you, you might be able to make the case that Kelvin Cater could get paid more at Bellator if Bellator wanted to open their pocketbooks and get Cater over there. Or the Korean Zombie. Or even Yair. Yeah, actually, if you're going to try and bait someone to leave Bellator, leave for Bellator, you talk to Yair Rodriguez. I mean, the dude just got suspended for a whereabouts violation. I can't imagine he's too happy with USADA. You don't even have USADA at Bellator. So if you want to bait someone to leave the UFC in the 145-pound division, start talking to Yair Rodriguez. Don't talk to Max Holloway. You know what I mean? This is just getting silly. At least use your brain here. At least think about it. Who's Just look at the division and go, who's the most likely to leave? Yair. And then you could make a case that you could try and get the Korean Zombie and Calvin Cater, but you're not getting, you're not getting Max Holloway out of the UFC. I just don't see it happening. He, because Max Holloway too. Max Holloway has always said, "I want to beat the best guys." So if Max Holloway always says, "Hey, I want to take out big names," what was he gonna go to Bellator for and beat big names? Once you beat Pitbull in the 145 pound division, you start looking around and going, 
well, we got Emmanuel Sanchez, and well, we got AJ McKee, and and or he could fight Zabit and Yair and the Korean Zombie. You know what I mean? There's way more fights for for um, Holloway at in the UFC, and then if Holloway wants to move to 155 pounds eventually, that opens up a whole another case of big fights at 155. If um, if Holloway wanted to move up to 155 in Bellator, who does he fight? Patricio Pitbull. You see, you see where this is going. So there's no point for Max Holloway at uh, Bellator. I think everybody who saw this saw this and was like, "Well, that's not going to happen." But I just wanted to make sure we talked about it here because it was quite silly. So when you're when you're Patricio Pitbull, if you wanted to keep saying silly shit, I'll keep talking about the silly stuff you want to talk about. We can do that all day. But you know. If you want to be productive, stop saying stop saying all this silly silly stuff to the media. Just cut it, cut it if you're pit bull. That was the last piece of, piece of news. Ended up ended on a little bit of a lighter note. So now we're gonna move on to UFC Fight Night Blades versus Derek Lewis. Now, I think the way a lot of people are looking at this fight here, a lot of people are looking at this saying Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Curtis Blades, all time great, all time great wrestler probably. Well, eh, 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 I don't know about all time. Great. Currently, currently, Curtis Blades is one of the best wrestlers in the UFC. Top three in terms of dominance on the ground. Usman, Usman, Habib's retired. So uh, we won't throw Habib in there simply because he's retired, not because he's um, not one of the best, because he's retired. And then Curtis Blades would be right up there. Um, active, it'd probably be Usman and Blades, top two. So, and then you have Derek Lewis. Now, a lot of people are counting Derek Lewis out, saying he's going to get out-wrestled by Curtis Blades. Is that a possibility? Yes. If I had to bet on it, would I bet that Curtis Blades out-wrestles Derek Lewis? Yes. But I think this fight has a little bit more to it than that. Because Derek Lewis looked very good wrestling in his last fight. He has showed progressions um, wrestling. Uh, he he out-wrestled um, a couple guys here. Um, yeah, his last fight against Alexia Linick, he had a good amount of top position, if I remember correctly. You had um, Latifi, who he wrestled a lot. I think he wrestled Ivanov a lot. So I think he wrestled a lot of these guys a lot. Um, and he's kind of progressed. He's seen... Derek Lewis is a smart guy. Derek Lewis is the type of guy that make everyone think he's a silly and funny guy, which he is silly and funny. But he's also... Um, he's also a lot smarter, smarter than people give him credit for. And I don't think Derek Lewis takes this fight if he thinks he's going to go out there and get dominated on the ground. I think Derek Lewis is going to go out and prove a lot of people wrong and show them that he can wrestle. That's the reason he took this fight. He wanted to prove he could wrestle. And this fight got canceled, and he said that's why he took the fight. And then he took the fight again. This fight was supposed to take place in December. And he took it again because he wants this fight to prove he can wrestle. So, I think Curtis Blades out-wrestles him still. I just, you know, gave him a lot of credit for wrestling improvements. But did he improve enough to beat Curtis Blades? Mm, I doubt it. I doubt it. But if he did, I'd give him so much credit for that. And I think this is going to be a closer fight. And I think some of these wrestling exchanges are going to be a lot closer than people are expecting. I think a lot of people are expecting Derek Lewis to get ragdolled, and I don't think that's going to happen. And I think this is going to be a very, a very close fight. 
I could be wrong. Curtis Blitz could go out there and ragdoll him, but I think we're going to see improvements from the ground game from Derek Lewis to prove that he can uh, out-wrestle some guys. And I think we're going to see that. I hope we see that. And, I, and if that happens, if that happens to where Lewis can shut down the wrestling, we're going to have a very fun fight on the feet. Because Curtis Blades is a very underrated striker with a lot of power in his hands. Obviously, he's not one of the greatest strikers at the heavyweight division. I'm not saying that. But he does have underrated striking. So that is the biggest fight on this card um, by a mile. But there are some other fun fights on this card that uh, I don't really want to look o- overlook here. You've got um, prospects here, a lot of prospects. You have Chris Dauskas, who's uh, one of the better heavyweight prospects, versus Alexi Olenek, who's an all-time legend of the sport. Phil Hawes is fighting on this card. Um, he's another great prospect. You have, um, where's the other couple? You have Tom Espinal is way down on the pre bottom of the prelims here. Um, he's fighting Andre Olaski. Tom Espinal is a very, very promising guy in that heavyweight division. And then you have Draco Rodriguez, who's a very bright prospect. Um, and you have Jakar Close. So we have a lot of good prospects on this card. I'm going to be watching this card. Um, I'll probably watch all the fights on this card. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of underrated fights here. There aren't too many big names, but we got some bright prospects in there that uh, hopefully perform well. And with a very good main event. So I think this is a very good card that the UFC has put together here. I'm excited for it. I think everyone should be excited for it. I don't think this is going to be a traditional um, Curtis Blades fight. I don't think this is going to, I don't think this is going to be Blades versus Volkov. Or, um, I think we see a better fight here. And I'm excited for the what's going to take place here in this heavyweight division. We've got Blades versus Lewis coming up. Um, the week after that, I believe we have... Um, we should have gain surreal gain versus surreal gone, excuse me, versus Jorginho Rosenstrike. So the UFC is putting on a lot of fun fights on he- in the heavyweight division. Yep, next week, the week after, so the twenty seventh is Rosenstrike versus Gain. So we're gonna see these, and then UFC two sixty obviously, which is coming up soon. We'll have Stipe versus Francis Ngannou. So we're going to see a lot of movement in the heavyweight division that people you don't want to miss out on. So um, that's the last thing we're going to talk about today on the Head Kick KO podcast. Make sure you go follow my other social medias. I'm on just about everything. We've got TikTok, which I put out a midweek video where I go a little bit more in-depth in on my um, main event prediction for the week. And we spice it up with uh, some other various content on the TikTok. Go go follow my Twitter, which on Twitter we have a lot of um, short, shorter discussion. I get my opinion out there quickly. Um, if I see anything during the week that piques my interest, you'll see a tweet. Um, Instagram, not too active on Instagram. We're getting there. Um, those are all Headkick KO Podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. If you're, if you're on any other platform, make sure to hit a follow, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Make sure to follow and like, and um, go follow me on Tapology and Verdict MMA. These are two great platforms for UFC fans to see picks and see fight outlooks here soon. So Tapology, we're just the Headkick KO podcast, and all social medias are the Headkick KO podcast, which is except for Twitter 
and Verdict MMA. It is just Head Kick KO Pod. And it has the same logo, so it's not too hard to di- differentiate between um, accounts. So you know if it's me or not. So make sure you go follow those on Tabology Verdict, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Go follow, like them, like them up. So thank you very much, and thank you for watching the Head Kick KO Podcast.